The landscape of North America's networks is rapidly evolving. New technologies like 5G carry a lot of promise to redefine the way we do business, learn, and connect with one another. But we're not there just yet. From the budget to build, software to secure, and Spectrum to support all use cases regardless of locale, a lot needs to happen before everyone can tap into its fullest potential. Tune in to Nokia today, where we discuss how policymakers, enterprises, and industry leaders are working together to bring today's network capabilities to scale for the future. 5G is a growing topic that has garnered much discussion throughout the industry and also amongst the public at large. There are frequent conversations surrounding questions like, how is 5G evolving? How close is it to becoming a reality for a wide group of Americans? And how does the US compare to the rest of the world in terms of deployment? Well, joining me today on the Nokia Today podcast to be a resource on all things 5G for anyone who wants to learn more about this technology is Mike Murphy, CTO of Americas at Nokia. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks. My pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure getting a chance to talk to you and and to get what I'm going to describe as a primer on all things 5G. And I think it's going to be really educational, so I'm excited to dive in. So let's start off here, Mike. How do you see 5G networks evolving in the U.S. versus what was done last year? Well, it's certainly been uh, interesting times last year and going forward. We had some soft launches towards the end of 2018. But uh, really, the main commercial launches started last year, 2019, and uh, they're, you know, perhaps a little bit spotty, but coverage is increasing to cover more of the U.S. But uh, moving into this year, one of the big things we'll see is a, a better selection of devices. So everybody's expecting iPhone 12 to come out to support 5G towards the end of the year. But uh, also, we're going to see some uh, low, low-tier and mid-tier devices, so the prices will go down. So that's that's a big difference. And of course, you know, with that will come more uh, uptake, more users. Going forward a little bit, we'll see a little bit more of the same in 2021, better coverage, better speeds. Uh, and uh, I always like to look at the tipping point when 5G starts taking over. And at the moment, we forecast that around 2024. So that's about the time when there'll be more 5G devices versus 4G, and maybe we'll start seeing a 4G decline. That's really interesting. You know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this continues to progress, like you mentioned, and, and kind of you pointed out that timeline there, just, you know, more volume coming out, more devices being available uh, that, that support 5G, more applications, and then the decline of LTE, as you mentioned, in 2024. So far up to this point, are there any surprises? Has there been anything that has stuck out that's surprised you so far? I guess the good thing, especially on the technical side, is that all the simulations and the forecasts uh, are basically being proved. The performance of 5G is pretty much as we expected. Uh, one of the surprising parts is that the pace is a lot faster than LT in terms of deployment globally and in the US. So just to give you an example, if you look at uh, 4G from the first launch by an operator to the last launch, the gap was about 28 months. And in 5G, it's two months. And if we go globally and look at the kind of the top four countries for 5G, uh, China, uh, Japan, Korea, US, the gap there from in 4G was 36 months and in 5G it's 12 months or less. So 
there's definitely a kind of a race going on, a race between operators within countries and then a race between countries. Everybody wants to be first because they all believe that 5G is going to bring a, a lot of new capabilities and uh, with that, some uh, revenue potential for the operators. Interesting. So it's almost like uh, there's a race between operators and then also a race between countries to see who can deploy this first, right? That's right. I, I don't think we really saw that so much in 4G. And, you know, that's kind of evidenced by the gaps between the launch dates. People didn't think it was so important to be first. But now there's really this belief that being first matters. Being first because perhaps you get more subscribers than you previously did. And at the country level, the reason for looking at being first is there's um, you know, there's a lot of good evidence that each generation will bring economic benefit to the country. And in 5G, it's pretty significant. So we see numbers like 3 million new jobs, for example, 250 billion uh, investment in capital by the network providers and maybe 500 billion uh, impact to the GDP. So that's why there's also a country race as well. That's particularly fascinating to me and, and something to watch, I think, moving forward for sure. So uh, there was a lot of action on Spectrum with auctions recently and going forward. Can you comment on what they mean and also maybe give us a little bit of an explanation on what Spectrum is and maybe what people should understand about it? Uh, it it's pretty hard to talk about 5G without talking about Spectrum. So I'll, I'll do my best to kind of simplify it. So generally speaking, there's low, uh, middle and high Spectrum. Low band spectrum is pretty much what we have today in 4G. High spectrum is what was auctioned off in the US over the last, oh, I guess about nine months or so in particular. That's millimeter wave. That's very high frequency spectrum. And then there's uh, mid-band. Mid-band is, as you would expect, in the middle. It's kind of the sweet spot for 5G. And um, the reason these are important to know about is they have dramatically different characteristics. So the high band or the millimeter wave will give you a lot of speed, but generally it doesn't propagate very far, meaning you're more likely to have that in hotspots. Low band is all the opposites, not as much speed, but does propagate well. And that's why you see 4G coverage everywhere today in the US. And the middle, as noted, uh, is kind of basically in the middle. And uh, with respect to the US, the high band or millimeter wave auctions uh, were very significant. So the total allotment is somewhere in the range of five gigahertz that was uh, auctioned off. Just to put that in perspective, that's about 30 times more than what we have today for 4G. And the US leads by far in the world in terms of millimeter wave auctions. Uh, unfortunately, the U.S. is a little bit late on the on the middle part, on the mid-band, but at least now there's announcements. So there's auctions coming out in July and December, which kind of turn that around versus other countries. And everybody's waiting for that because, like I said, it's, it's kind of considered the sweet spot. Right, right. So I, I guess what interests me about this then is what does this mean for consumers on their side? How can we kind of speak to this in a, in a way that consumers will understand and say, okay, this is what I can expect moving forward and this is what this all means for me? I think you can see it in the press, and if you happen to buy a 5G phone, you will have experienced it. But as I noted, the uh, U.S. is kind of doing really well on the high end, and on the low end, it's just taking what you've done for 4G and converting it to 5G. So those two things have started. So that's why you see really, really high speeds, but in not many places. 
there's been few reports of uh, of uh, demos in live networks getting up to four gigabits per second. So, and you know, if you think about your home internet, that's probably a lot faster than you actually get at home. So, that's really really. Uh, special on the low band, you won't see much difference, but you will get the little 5G icon on your phone. So after these mid-band auctions, what I think you'll see is a more smooth service, meaning a little bit of the high speeds and a wider deployment, meaning it's available in more places. So that's going to be exciting going into next year because, like I mentioned, the auctions are are happening this year, so we'll see the deployments next year. Right, right. So, you know, you were quoted recently in your Senate testimony, and there's been a lot of talk about open systems recently. I was wondering if you could kind of run through a, a brief synopsis just about um, some of the things that you talked about in that Senate testimony that called Nokia and Ericsson legacy players. Um, can, can you kind of talk us through the talking points there and and educate us on what was discussed there and maybe the contents of it? Generally speaking, equipment providers uh, such as ourselves provide end-to-end systems in uh, networks today. But there's been a general progression over time, starting in the core network and moving down to the radio side to open up interfaces and allow uh, more of a mix and match of different vendors. And so we, we agree with that in principle. And in fact, we actually wrote perhaps the most important spec regarding this. And we're actually in uh, the first large deployment of this worldwide in Rakuten in Japan. So we support the principle of uh, openness and mixing and matching of vendors, basically allowing our customers to to select the uh, the best in class for the right technology. However, that being said, it's not, you know, this system is not fully mature yet. And that's what I said in the uh, my testimony. And what I mean by that is, you know, we don't have it in tier one operators and tier one markets yet, with the possible exclusion of Rakuten. So it needs to be applied at the right place in the right time, both for uh, vendors in terms of our our developments on the product side and for operators when they're ready to actually implement something like that. And uh, the good example is rural operators who maybe have limited technical resources. And so bringing in a new technology like this, at least now, would be a little bit challenging. Uh, likewise, applying to legacy networks versus greenfield networks is a little more challenging. So we, we're very supportive of the direction and movement towards open systems, but we just think it needs to be done at the right time and the right place. So what was it like uh, giving a testimony to the Senate? I'm, I'm sure podcasting is a breeze after doing something like that, right? Yeah, it it definitely was interesting, and uh, it was very much like what you see on TV. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the perhaps the challenge there is that there's no option to not answer a question or to fumble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get one shot, and there's a time, literally a timer that goes on. So uh, you need to hit your time, as do the senators, by the way. So they have a very uh, strict time time limit on their questions. That's really interesting. That is uh, some some inside look at, at what a Senate testimony actually looks like. So uh, we touched on this a little bit when we talked about the timeline earlier, but when do we see the exotic apps coming? Uh, are, are there things like that that you could see coming in the future? And what does that timeline look like? You know, every generation we talk about this for those of us who've been around, you know, we talked about exotic apps in 3G, we talked about them in 4G, and now we're talking about them in 5G be honest, uh, it didn't really happen in 3G and 4G. You could perhaps say the exotic app in uh, 4G is really video, YouTube, or things like Netflix. Sure. 
But the belief is that 5G has all the right technology components to really make it happen this time. And so that's why there's all this excitement and you see the races between operators and across countries. Normally, we never get it right. We never predict what the killer app will be. Entrepreneurs are much better at that. However, uh, that being said, there's kind of a few no-brainers, in in particular for 5G, uh, such as augmented reality, reality, virtual reality, gaming, deployment in manufacturing and industry, Mm -hmm. fixed wireless access as an alternative to cable or satellite, for example. And one part, especially for me, that I find fascinating is um, a large interest by the government and uh, in particular the military. So like I said, the difference is that 5G kind of hits... It hits all the buttons with respect to technology um, components that allow you to do a lot of different things, more so than 4G. So that's that's why we believe this time it's really going to happen. So Mike, just as somebody that follows this really closely and obviously has a lot of expertise and knowledge about 5G and where it's headed, what has you the most excited about its potential for the future and, and where we're heading? I guess the difference is we largely viewed all the previous generations as only or dominantly being applied to smartphones and people. And perhaps the biggest change with 5G is it goes beyond just people into more devices and devices in many industries across healthcare, transportation, military, uh, and others. So that that's really a, a, a net new uh, compared to what's gone on before. So that's very exciting uh, because it puts us into areas where wireless has never gone before and it creates uh, new alternatives. You know, one way I always, you know, I'm often asked, you know, what is 5G? And I try to explain it simply as it's, it, it takes like everything you could do with wireline or fixed lines, but brings it with it uh, wireless convenience. So you kind of get the best of both worlds of wireline and wireless and you can do some things better than you could with only wireline, but you can also do some net new things that you couldn't do with either. Excellent. Yeah, well, that's that's particularly exciting, I think. And uh, I think people will be excited to learn a little bit more about that and to see what the effects on the world around them are when 5G is uh, a more mature technology um, and that sort of thing. So I, I think there's a lot of excitement around that for sure. Uh, Mike, is there any, uh, do you have any closing thoughts or anything like that to, to wrap up this conversation uh, on our primer on 5G uh, for people, whether they're in the industry or just curious about this technology and what's coming? Um, do you have any final thoughts or or closing statements for us? It's a little bit repetitive, but with every generation, we have hype, and sometimes the hype doesn't happen. I think in 5G, the hype is actually going to happen. Maybe a little bit slower than everybody was thinking, but I do actually believe this time it's going to happen. All the things you read about, whether they be speeds or applications, um, it looks like it's going to happen this time. Well, it's an exciting future ahead of us. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today and preparing uh, our listeners for the future of 5G. So, Mike Murphy, CTO of Americas at Nokia. Thanks so much for joining me today on the Nokia Today podcast. Oh, thanks very much. It's my pleasure. 
Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast. For more from Nokia, make sure you subscribe to uh, the podcast channel, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcasts these days. And uh, go back and listen to previous episodes. We have uh, plenty of episodes there for you to listen to, as well as uh, ensuring that by subscribing, you get future episodes there as well. So make sure you do all of that. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for listening.